Um, as was Heather mentioned, her husband Tim is going to be speaking in the holidays, so a three-part series about fear, love, and the kingdom of God. Um, I'm excited for all of them, particularly the last one, though, kingdom of God. It's a great, great topic. Uh, but when Tim is going to be speaking about fear, um, actually, I want to share a fear I have with you. I don't think it's one that Tim will be speaking to. But this is mainly a fear I have for myself, or at least I firstly have this fear my, for myself. But it's a fear I have for all of us as well as God's people. And it is a fear that we will think we live by ourselves. It is a fear that we will start to believe that we do this life by ourselves in our own strength or we have to work it out by ourselves. And it is absolutely wrong and it is a lie. I have this fear for myself because I've fallen into this way of thinking. But I have this fear for all of us. And years ago, uh, I was corrected in this. Actually, it was about 20 years ago, and I've told this story before, but it bears telling again. Uh, I spent a week with a Baptist pastor, and I got to tag along with him. And basically, I was his shadow for a week. Where he went, I went. What he did, I did. And it was a great experience, and the sort of funny thing about it is that at the time, this is about 20 years ago, I wasn't planning to get into ministry. Um, I do tend to think God may have had other ideas, but anyway, you look back on these things now, and his name was Evan Squires, and I probably annoyed him for the week, but he was very patient with me. And uh, yeah, I followed him around for the week. But during that week, one of the things he had to do, he was like, Mike, I've got to do some sermon planning. So we trundled off to his office, and he sat down at his desk, and he pulled out a piece of paper, and he got a pen, and he sat there for a moment, and he's like, so we've been, we've been doing this. I think we should go here. I think this is where we should be going. And so he started writing down ideas on this piece of paper and he drew some boxes about where they might go first, second, third, fourth, fifth in this series. And I'm watching him do this. And it, and it seemed somewhat functional to me as I observed him do this. And so I asked him a question. I only asked him one question that morning. And I said, even is this how you do it? Like, is this how you sort of come up with a sermon series? And do you know those moments when you ask someone a question and, like, their head snaps to you? And you know, oh, gosh, um, I'm about to get told. Well, his head didn't quite snap to me, but he turned and looked at me quite quickly, and his eyes grew in size. And he said to me, Mike, and he had a tone in his voice, uh, he said to me, Mike, I defy anyone, anyone, me, any of you, I defy anyone to say the Holy Spirit is any less involved in what I do at this desk with this piece of paper and this pen than on a Sunday morning or anywhere else. Now, I was young and silly. I'm not as young now. And I didn't ask any more questions after that. But from that week, that was my takeaway. I took away what Evan said that week. And it has stuck with me. Because you see, I asked a question. I thought what he was doing seemed somewhat functional. He understood it in a very different way. He understood, your question, Mike, is actually about the Holy Spirit. And you don't get it. 
And there was a bit of a slap there. And honestly, I needed it. I needed it. Because all too easily, I thought, oh, you know, I've got a, I'm sure the Holy Spirit is real, the Holy Spirit is with me, Holy Spirit is involved, but you know, it's mostly when we pray and do this, that, you know, other things, particularly when we're together, etc. And even spoke directly to that. He's like, no. No, the Holy Spirit is more than that. You're thinking too small. All of your life is lived in the Holy Spirit. Oh yes, there's highs when you know the Holy Spirit is doing things in you or in other people, and those are great. They are wonderful. But don't you dare, dare for a moment, limit the Holy Spirit only to those parts of your life. All of your life is lived in the Holy Spirit, just as all of your life is lived in faith in Christ. Even was someone who got what it is to walk by the Spirit. At times I've forgotten that over the years. I'm tempted to compartmentalize God. I've done a bunch of other jobs in my life, making coffee, um, even worked on the odd farm, very, very short amount of times. I was a property manager for over a decade, lots and lots of building, lots and lots of mowing lawns too. And the thing is, in all of those things, I am called to walk by the Spirit. I am called to live in faith in Christ. All of them. Nothing is to be excluded. Nothing. I am so thankful that Evan saw my question, heard my question that day for what it truly was. I am so thankful that he spoke up and he spoke loudly and clearly to me. I've forgotten it at times. I fear I will forget it again. I pray I never will. And for all of us, please do not fall into this trap. All of our lives, all of our lives are lived in faith in Christ If we start to think our lives are found anywhere else, we will start living for ourselves. Better watch out because you will start living for the enemy. And that's a dangerous place to be. A dangerous place to be. We must not fall into that trap. And so as we end this series today, yeah, we end this series But we absolutely need to carry on walking by the Spirit. Absolutely. Because if we're not walking by the Spirit, then we're walking by someone else and we're walking somewhere else. I put that out as an encouragement to us all. Hold on to it. Keep going. And as we've gone through this series called Walk by the Spirit, we've had two main passages from Galatians 5, which talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, contrasting them. And uh, what is the first fruit of the Spirit that's listed? Love, Love, yeah, and that is what we are talking about today. We won't read from Galatians, uh, sorry, yeah, Galatians 5, we will read from Colossians 3, though, our other passage. And there we read in Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, 
clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is God's word to us. Love is key to who we are. In Galatians 5, in the list of the fruit of the Spirit, it comes first. Here in Colossians 3, it comes last. Whichever passage you take, whichever way you cut it, love is foundational to who God is and it is foundational to who we are called to be. And today I want to contrast selfishness with love, that as Christians we are tempted by our flesh, we are tempted by this world we live in, and we are tempted by the enemy to be selfish. But the Holy Spirit calls us to be people instead who are marked by a love that is selfless. And I'm contrasting self-love with selfless love here. And we need to start here because this world talks a lot about love, doesn't it? Oh, how many songs are there about love? I don't even know. Uh, but it seems like every country and western song ever is just about love of a woman, love of a dog, or love of a horse, doesn't it? But the Bible and the Holy Spirit are calling us not so much to love more, quantity, so much as they are calling us to a certain type of love, a better love, a higher love, a focused love. This is about the quality of our love. And the Bible talks a lot about love in both of these ways, though. And it's very clear that there are both negative loves and positive loves. There are, quite frankly, bad loves and there are good loves. And an example of a negative love would be the love of money. This love does not belong in our lives. The Bible is very clear. It is a wrong love. It is a misplaced love. It is a, a, a misordered love. Instead, we are to order our loves rightly, and at the top of the order should be, I'm pointing upwards for a reason, God. Love God. And then it should be love others. Both of these require a selfless love. They require a putting of others before ourselves. And yet this is how we are to order our loves. God first others second. We haven't even mentioned ourselves at this stage. And in the Bible, this higher love, this selfless love, is known as agape or agape. Uh, This is the Greek word we translate as love. And perhaps a little unfortunately, in Greek, in what the New Testament is written in, there are multiple words for love, for different types of love. Uh, In English, We translate all of them as the one word, which is perhaps a little sad. But this agape love is God's love for us. It is the love we know, we see in Jesus for us. It is a sacrificial love. I'm guessing many of you have heard this before. Yes? No? Okay. Yeah. Good few of you. And this is my first point today. The Holy Spirit is interested in ordering our love. We could say ordering our hearts rightly. Again, this is not so much about loving more, but loving 
rightly, our love having the right focus. It's about us loving like God. Surprise, surprise. And that's our definition. That's the definition I want to work from. This love that we are called to is a rightly ordered love. But what about selfishness then? Well, that's a misordered love, isn't it? It's getting things around the wrong way. But we might wonder, we should wonder, where does this selfishness, this misordered love come from? And this is worth spending a little bit of time on because it's the experience of us all. It is the experience of us all. It is what we live in. And I actually want to start here with a quote. Uh, this is from a Scottish economist. Could make lots of jokes there, couldn't you? Uh, but this is from 1776. So it was written a wee while ago. And Adam Smith, a Scotsman, wrote, It is not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own interest. We address ourselves not to their humanity, but their self-love, and never talk to them of their own necessities, but of their advantages. And this was written, uh, he wrote this in a book called The Wealth of Nations. Now, he was saying, this is the way the world works. We need to know it and get on board with it. And when Adam here, Adam Smith, lessens benevolence and humanity in contrast to self-interest and self-love, he is not speaking about God's economy. He is speaking about the world's economy. He is describing the way this world works. He is describing the bent of our hearts. And this is not to say that we can't be selfless, but it is to say that the environment we live in, the world we live in, is bent towards appealing to our selfishness. It is. And I think we all know this. I think we've all seen enough advertising, haven't we? Just this past week, I got an email, which was, you know, advertising things to me, saying, Mike, you deserve to treat yourself. Telling me I do. And it's a little bit appealing. (laughs) I want to believe it. And they know it. And look, I think we would agree that selfishness, the selfishness that Adam Smith talks about here, uh, is part of our world, isn't it? It is. The thing is, it shouldn't be. Oh, I'm saying it is, but it shouldn't be. I'm agreeing with Adam Smith, but I'm saying this is not the way it should be. Do you know, God does not need us. Not one bit. doesn't need me at all. He has absolutely zero need of me. And the amazing thing is, the incredible thing is, he cares for me, though. Without any need whatsoever, he cares for me. This is God's economy. This is the way God works. This is God's kingdom. And this is what we are called to. I also wonder, and I don't know, I could probably do more research. Did Adam Smith have children? Because, I don't know if he knows, most of the time there is little benefit to them. In fact, they take quite a bit from you. 
And I would say if you're a selfish person at all, which we all are somewhat, uh, don't have children because they will take and take and take. They do give something back, but they do a lot of taking first, don't they? This is the world we live in, and indeed, it is the flesh we live in as well. Paul, who wrote our passages from Galatians and from Colossians, both those letters, he also wrote in 2 Timothy to a young pastor, not surprisingly called Timothy, as you might have guessed. He said to Timothy, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sound a little like our time? Yeah, absolutely it does. Because when Paul writes saying in the last days, he means this period before Jesus returns. It was true in Timothy's time and it is true today. The world has changed lots, but actually people are the same. This world is the same. And I think we can link all of these, all that Paul lists here, with a wrongly ordered love, a misplaced love. We love ourselves, we value ourselves over others, and especially over God. And this leads to sin, it is sin, and leads to brokenness. Again, let's remember Paul's comment from our reading today, from Colossians 3. It is love that binds self-control and kindness and humility and gentleness together in perfect unity, love. Can you see how foundational love is to either misdirecting our lives or rightly ordering our lives? Love is foundational to both, but it is where that love directs us. It is what the focus of that love is. Is it firstly on God and then on others? Or is it on ourselves and things? And I bring this up because this is the world we live in. Indeed, this is the state we live in. In the Bible, where three common uh, adversaries are identified. Uh, the world, our flesh, and the devil. The world, our flesh, and the devil. And we do indeed have an enemy, all of us. But as Christians, we need to know we have an enemy. He has been there from the start, lying to us, calling into question God's goodness and God's plan for the lives and saying, you make up your own mind. You choose who you are. You know right from wrong. It's pretty tempting. Still pretty tempting. We also have a fight with our flesh. All of us, and as Christians, we need to know this, recognize this, that we still have this fight. There is a sinful bent within us. And as Christians, if anything, we become more aware of it. We do. Because the Holy Spirit lives with us and says, Nah, you're not meant to be going that way. What are you doing? Come back. Come back. And lastly, we live in a world, a world that Adam Smith, even though he thought it was the right way to live, 
is against us. It is bent towards sin. It wants us to follow its ways, to, to have its values, to look after yourself, to think of number one, to just get what you want. You will find your fulfillment there. And I bring this up because we need to be aware of the times that we live in. When we talk about the last days, it's, you know, it's sort of like, woo, the last days. Actually, the point is it's the days before Jesus' return. The point is to be conscious of when we live and what we are anticipating, what is next. If we are thinking of Jesus' return, then we're going to live a bit more rightly in the here and now. And that's the point. That's what Paul was pointing out to Timothy. Know when you live. You're going to see these things. Of course you're going to see them. But be aware of who you are and what you are called to. Let us also be aware of when we live as well. And living in this fallen world and with a sinful nature means that we should expect to deny ourselves as we follow Jesus. We've probably heard these words a bit, but in Matthew 16, Jesus uh, has mentioned pretty much for the first time that he is going to die. Now, he's also mentioned that he's going to rise, that he will rise. But Peter hears Jesus talking about his death, and Peter somewhat boldly goes up to Jesus and says, no, I don't think that's a good idea, Jesus. You should do something else. Uh, and if we've heard these, this passage before, we'll know Jesus' words to Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. He identifies Peter. He identifies Peter and what Peter is valuing there as from the enemy. And he's very clear about it. Again, it is a rebuke. It is a slap. And I'm sure Peter heard it. And then immediately after that, Jesus turns to the crowd and the disciples says, whoever wants to be my disciple, including you, Peter, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. They're fairly memorable words, aren't they? And what should be striking to us is that while Jesus has mentioned his death, he hasn't mentioned going to a cross. And so when he talks to the disciples and the crowd here about taking up their cross, they hear him say, you, you're going to go to your death. You're calling me to go to my death, to take up the means of my execution. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, I am. I'm calling all of you to this. This is the way to follow me. This is the way to follow me. And it was the way to follow Jesus then, and it is the way to follow him now as well. It is. Jesus wants us to have a right expectation in this world, and it is an expectation that discipleship will mean, it will mean denying ourselves. It will mean putting aside our selfish desires, putting aside our own self-interest, do we see this in Jesus? Yeah, we do. Absolutely we do. And this is what we call to as well. And discipleship will include following Jesus. Being part of God's family includes walking as he walked. 
It absolutely includes taking up a cross. There is no other way to follow him. And I want to throw out a hypothetical question then to you. If there is someone who calls themselves a Christian, but they are not denying themselves in any part of their life, are they a Christian? How would you answer? Well, none of you want to answer. You all know it, though. The answer is no, or they are very misled. They do not know what they should be expecting in their life as a Christian. And they're not listening to the Spirit within them. And that is a dangerous way to live. Peter was a rebuke that day. And all of us at times need to be woken up. We need that slap. Hey, this is what the Christian life looks like. This is what following Jesus looks like. Yes, discipleship includes losing and gaining. Losing and gaining. And we should be aware of what we are losing, our selfishness, so we can be aware of what we're gaining. We should. We've got to hold those two together, that in all of our lives, there is a denying, there is a putting to death, so we can gain. When Paul talks in Galatians and when he talks in Colossians 3 about putting our flesh to death, putting those desires to death and living to the, by the Spirit, this is what he's talking about. This is what he is talking about. We're not going to get all five points. We'll get the fourth one, though. And so what does this mean for us? Practically, what does this mean for us? Well, I think a starting point for us all is our mindset. And again, that might sound very, I don't know, sort of functional. Do not limit the spirit. Don't you dare. Your mindset matters a lot. And Philippians 2, again, it's Paul writing here. He did write a lot, didn't he? <laughs> he gave us a lot. But he writes here, and he writes to a church in this instance, and he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, some translations will say have the same attitude. I don't care what trend, what word you use. Mindset's good, though. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus walked the walk and he did it for us. And whatever we have to deny, whatever we have to put to death, when we look at him, we see someone who has done far more. He not only left heaven to come to earth for us, he not only, as God, in God's very nature and form, became human like us, 
but then he would go to the cross and in humiliation and shame, give it up. I mean, he literally took up his cross. He did it all. He emptied himself, we're told, and became nothing. Now, when it says it became nothing, we actually see him becoming glorious, though, don't we? Because we see his love, we know his love, the clearest place to see God's love and care, his benevolence, if I can pick on Adam Smith's word, his benevolence for us is on the cross. Love beyond all loves. That knowing everything you have done, I have done, we have done, everything, and what we are yet to do, he would still come and die for us. This mindset is not a small thing, is it? It's really not. And it's foundational to who God is, and it's found, meant to be foundational to who we are. That we so love God that this leads to a love for others, and funny enough, it will lead to a making of disciples as well. And we need to work on this mindset because this is where it starts. That when that selfishness starts to creep into me again and again, and that's the thing, I live in this flesh, this sinful flesh. I live in this world, and I have an enemy, and it's going to creep in me again and again. But I'm not alone. The Spirit is at work in me and in you, calling us forward, calling us to deny those things, to put them to death, and to live for Christ, to live in the Spirit. As much as we are losing, we are gaining. As much as we might feel like we are putting a part of ourselves to death, and we are, part that doesn't belong, we're actually gaining as we live to God, as we live in God. Is this making sense? And this is foundational to all of the fruits of the Spirit. This is foundational to all that the Spirit does in us. That if we are made a kind person or a gentle person or a humble person, but we are not doing it with this mindset, this love, then we're not really doing it. Because this is the thing that ties all those together. This is the thing that begs them to fruit in our lives and to God's glory. That when people can say, why are you joyful? Why are you kind? Why are you generous? Why do you care? Why are you benevolent? We can say, because Christ is all of those things and so much more to me. And we know that the Spirit has worked in us and is working in us. Always. Brothers and sisters, let us not think we are alone in this world. We're not. Let us not think we need to to work out our life all by ourselves. That would be foolishness. For me to think that would be be like me thinking I'm a being a four year old child in a house thinking I need to I need to run this house, I need to work out how to make breakfast and cook dinner when there's a parent in the house the whole time. 
stupid. That parent is so much wiser, so much more able, and they're there to help me. And as a Christian, I have the Spirit for that reason. You have the Spirit there for that reason. I might just have called you stupid then. That's not quite what I mean. (laughs) But we're all growing, aren't we? We've all got so much to learn. We do. And we're not alone. The Spirit calls us from things, says that is not the way to go. This is the way to go. The Spirit brings to our mind again and again, this is who Christ is for you. Now live in Him. Live for Him. Let us be a people who are marked by this love, His love. And then let's make Him known. Let's pray together. Oh Jesus, I give thanks that when you left, you did not leave us alone, but you sent the Spirit to be with us and in us. And what a wonder this is. And I do pray, help us to remember that. That we are not alone. We're not just working this out by ourselves. But what a wonder it is that we have you, Holy Spirit, within us, leading us on, correcting us, yeah, rebuking us at times, but being oh so gracious and patient with us, showing us our Heavenly Father's love for us, that we are his beloved, his dearly loved children, and we are called to be holy as he is holy. And I pray, make us a loving people. Make us more loving, that we could put ourselves aside, that we could could think of ourselves less, and we could think more of you, God, putting you first in our lives, and be able to think of those around us, that wherever you have us, whatever families you have us in, whatever workplaces you have us in, We would be a people who are conscious of those people, listening to them, caring for them, and showing your love to them, making you known. Yes, Jesus, may we be marked by your love as we listen to the Spirit and walk in him. I pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen.